Well, good morning again, Redeemer. We now get the opportunity to dive into the Word of God this morning. But before we do that, I just want to highlight a few things. Uh, one, as I mentioned, uh, as the pastor who oversees uh, church membership, I'm going to always push for church membership. So please turn to page 13 in your bulletin. If you haven't yet signed up, if you're not yet a member, go ahead and sign up even today. Um, the second thing I want to mention is one of our new equipping classes that is actually that actually began at 11 o'clock this morning. It's the Building Financial Foundations class, a journey to God-glorifying stewardship. In this class, you'll gain a biblical understanding of finances. Uh, you'll be able to assess your relationship with money uh, and develop practical habits for a God-honoring financial future. Uh, this class is taking place every Sunday at 11 a.m. Uh, actually, what I'm saying, we're in the line o'clock service, so it hasn't even started yet. So you can actually go to that class after this, which is great. Um, so it starts at 11 o'clock. Uh, you can grab some refreshments after this uh, and then attend the class. Uh, the last thing I just want to highlight that Joey did make mention of it, and it's really exciting, is the women's conference that's coming up on the 20th of January. It's with Nancy Guthrie, uh, Nancy Guthrie uh, taking place in rank. Nancy is a gifted teacher and writer, and this conference is really going to be a wonderful encouragement. You can find the details of how to sign up, as well as info about the pre-conference gathering taking place the night before on page 13 of your bulletin. So ladies, I would strongly encourage you to have a look at that and sign up. Now as we come to consider the Word of God, let us go to our Father in prayer for our time together. Let's pray. Father God, we are reminded that all Scripture is yours, all Scripture is breathed out by you, that you have called us to preach the Word. Father, I pray that as we come to the preaching of your Word now, Father, prepare our hearts. Be with us. Give us ears to listen. And we have hearts that are ready to be convicted and to repent. And may we look to the hope that your word holds out for us in Christ Jesus. And we walk away from this this morning marveling at you and marveling at who Christ is. Father, please be with me as I preach. Lord, give me your words, prepare my heart even now, to be faithful to what your word says. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can you believe it? First week of January 2024 is done. Finished. It's in the books. Chalas. It's gone. So how has your year gone so far? How have the first seven days of 2024 been for you? What are your New Year's resolutions? What are the things that you're hoping to achieve this year? Lose weight? Exercise more? Read some more books? Is there a special skill that you're wanting to master this year? A language that you're perhaps hoping to learn? Maybe a character trait that you're hoping to develop? And how have you managed so far? You, you on track or 
like many in the world, have you already kind of put those New Year's resolutions to 2025? I'm sure we could spend hours thinking through all the things that we hope to accomplish this year. But I'm going to suggest just, just one thing. One resolution that I would strongly encourage us all to take on this year. Now, there, there may be other things, but here's one challenge for us. Just, just this one thing. The title of the sermon is the main point of our text this morning. It's written right here behind me. Proclaim the word. This is Paul's charge to Timothy. This is his charge to us. So friends, let me encourage you, if you haven't already done so, open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me encourage you to take out a pen, turn to the notes page on the bulletin, maybe open the notes app even on your, your, your phone, and, and, and take down notes today. As we consider this text this morning, let us have this in our minds right here. Let us proclaim the word. Proclaim it to ourselves, proclaim it to our families, Proclaim it to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers. Let us be a church that in 2024 proclaims the word. And to help us think through just what that means, what this looks like, we're going to be looking at three points from our passage this morning that serve as our outline. Three points. Point number one, the charge to proclaim the word. That's in verses one and two. Point number two, the reason to proclaim the word in verses three and four. And then point number three, endure to proclaim the word, and that's in verse five. The charge to proclaim the word, the reason to proclaim the word, and endure to proclaim the word. Let's look at our first point. Paul begins this section with this charge to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Well, the question we need to ask is, why? Why does Paul begin here with those specific words? After all, it could have all easily gone from what we looked at last week, that, that all scripture is beat out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then simply put, and therefore, right next to it, and then jump to straight to, to, to verse 2. But, we know that Paul is a very intentional man. He's very intentional with how he lived his life. He's very intentional with his words. He's very intentional with the letters that he wrote. So this is no exception. Paul begins this section in a very specific way, for a very specific reason. I want to suggest we sum that up in one word. Perspective. Paul is wanting to remind Timothy, to encourage him that as he presses on in ministry, even after Paul has died, Timothy needs to have the right perspective. Remember, Timothy's life is not going to be one of ease and comfort. Paul, in the beginning of his letter, describes his own circumstances. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 15. You, that is Timothy, are aware 
that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phangelis and Homogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Paul knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to be rejected, abandoned by those he thought would remain with him. He knew what it was to struggle. And as we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 3, he tells Timothy that understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Things for Timothy are only going to get harder, more difficult. And in a moment, we'll see what some of those difficulties will be that we'll have to face. So with all this on the horizon, with all this looking in, this is, this is what he can expect. And it's likely that Timothy was already facing much difficulty in Ephesus. Remember, this is the place that was the seat of uh, worship of the Greek goddess Artemis. This was the central hub of that worship. The important encouragement to Timothy is not grit your teeth, not try harder, just, just press on. No, his encouragement is have the right perspective. Timothy, remember that everything you do, how you live your life, how you care for those in the church, how you evangelize, how you face opposition, all is done under the watchful gaze of God. Ultimately, it's God who you are accountable to, not those around you, whether they're faithful believers or hard opposition. It's having the right perspective that that one day Christ will come, will judge, not only those who have opposed Timothy, but will judge Timothy himself. It's having the right perspective that one day Christ will appear again. And there is certainty here. It's going to happen. And it's the right perspective of his kingdom, which will one day be brought to fulfillment and have no end. Timothy, have this in mind. Timothy, have this perspective, because... These things are assured. We can be assured that Christ will return one day. Timothy, have the right perspective that the end is guaranteed. It's done. We know what's going to happen. So don't worry. Do not doubt. Do not fear. Let's think of it like this. If you knew that at the end of 2024, that there is a, a glorious reward that is waiting for you. That it is 100% guaranteed. You just have to get to the end of 2024. Then how you live this year is going to be shaped by what's waiting for you. So no matter what trials, no matter what struggles, no matter what difficulties you go through, you do that. You're going through that with this perspective of what's waiting for me at the end. Knowing that what is waiting for you is worth all the hardship, all the struggle, all the trials that you are facing right now. You just need to have the right perspective. This is Paul's charge to Timothy and to us. We we were remind, are reminded of, of what awaits. When we are reminded of what awaits us, when we are reminded that one day there is a glorious hope that is a hundred percent assured for us that there will come a day when there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more death. 
that a day is coming when we'll be in the presence of our God in His kingdom forever. That should shape how we live our lives right now. If we're calling one another to proclaim a word, then it is vital that we are reminded of our future hope. When we're mocked at, when we're mocked, ridiculed, threatened, rejected, so beaten, maybe even death, we need to have the right perspective. As you sit here this morning, what is your perspective? Because if it doesn't begin and end with Jesus, then the reality is there is no hope. As difficult as it is to, to hear, that is the reality. Your right perspective needs to understand, that needs to start with the right understanding of who God is and who you are before. Contrary to what many would like to say, our starting point with God is not that of a friend, but more of an enemy. You see, we rebelled against God. We rejected Him. We rejected Him as our rightful ruler, as creator of everything. And this treason of rebelling against the sovereign God of the universe deserves punishment. It deserves justice. The price that is required of us, we can never pay. Every other belief system will tell you, if you just do enough good, if you just make enough effort, if you just do better than the next person, just, just make sure you're always trying harder, then you should be fine. You will eventually work your way to paradise. But if we in a million lifetimes of trying our best, we would fall infinitely short of God's perfect standard of holiness that He requires of us. Having the right perspective acknowledges this truth. Having the right perspective understands that God made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. By sending His Son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, living the perfect life, sinless, in perfect obedience to the Father, humbles Himself to death. Paying the penalty on our behalf as he hung on that cross. The righteous Christ. And the place of the unrighteous us. <coughs> Having the right perspective believes that Christ died, was buried on the third day, he rose again, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Having the right perspective is not that our only hope is to trust. Trust that what God has, what Christ has done is sufficient, and that we are to repent and put our hope and our faith and our trust in His finished work. Having the right perspective believes that one day Christ will come again. He will return to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. Friends, does this describe your perspective? As you sit here this morning, as you hear these words, does this describe your perspective? Does this describe your understanding of what it means to be a Christian? If not, I would encourage you, urge you, find out more. Come and talk to anyone that you saw up here on stage today. Come and talk to any of the members you saw standing up uh, during that new member recognition. 
But let me charge you. Let me charge you with the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Don't leave here today without considering this perspective. Christian, as you sit here this morning, well, I definitely want to encourage you to, to have the right perspective, to always remember of the hope that we have, of the assurance of the guarantee that we have. There is one other thing I want to encourage you. Look at me at verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Life never happens as we want it. Plans don't always work out the way we want. Our timeline for things often seems to be in opposition to how things actually pan out. Paul's charge to Timothy and following the call to have the right perspective is to be ready. To always be ready with the Word of God. Last week we saw that all Scripture is breathed out by God that it is profitable, that through it, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Therefore, be ready with the word. Be ready to proclaim the word. The one thing we need to see in the context of this passage is that Paul isn't specifically calling Timothy to evangelize, to, um, to kind of reach out to believers, although this is something we will consider in a little bit. Remembering the situation, remembering the context, this all seems to be something that is taking place in and around the church. Timothy is to be ready to deal with all things that are going on. Timothy is to reprove those who are waving off into false myths and false teaching. Timothy is to be ready to rebuke those that are proclaiming a false message. He is to be ready to exhort, to encourage, or to urge those who may be struggling, feeling tempted by false teaching, or or are fighting the good fights and need to be reminded of the hope that they have. Whatever the situation, Timothy is to be ready. As you sit here this morning, friends, are you ready? Are you ready to come alongside a brother or sister who perhaps needs to be corrected? Are you ready to walk alongside them, pointing them to the truth, pointing them to the hope that is found in God's word. Are you ready to rebuke those who seek to come in and start proclaiming a false gospel? Someone who is seeking to lead your fellow church members astray. While the elders of this church are the shepherds of this church, there are nine of us. As much as we would love to be confident every gathering, we confident every community group meeting. Very often, the first line of defense against false teaching are you, the members of the church of God. Remember one of the points that I covered that we just read. We will defend, and I remember this is for one of us, right? Not just elders, not just church leaders. This is for everyone who is a member of the church. We will defend and maintain an evangelical ministry in this church by supporting and upholding the preaching of the Word of God. Which means that if anything is contrary to the 
need to speak up against that. The administration of the multi-gospel sacraments battle with the Lord's Supper, the exercise of church discipline. Yeah, this is the responsibility of every church member. We all need to be ready to defend an evangelical ministry in this church. Are you ready to exhort and encourage your brothers and sisters as we make our way to this world as sojourners, seeking by God's help to live carefully in this world, denying ungodliness and worldly passions, striving to live self-control, upright and godly lives in this present age, as we wait for our blessing of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, we are to be ready in season and out of season, ready to proclaim the word of God. This is Paul's charge to Timothy. But not just the charge to Timothy to be ready. Paul goes on to, to, to give the reason of why he needs to be ready. That leads us to our next point. The reason to proclaim the word. Verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wonder off into myths. So we've seen this, this charge from, from Paul to Timothy to proclaim the word, and now he's giving the full reason why. A time is coming when people will not want to listen to what the word of God has to say. I mean, we just need to look around today and see all the ways that we see this taking place in our society. But this is not something new. Paul is writing this to Timothy in the first century. God's own people refused to endure sound teaching, and throughout the ages, we see time and time again history just simply repeating itself. Now, for Timothy, this could be a number of things that he had to face. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, he was in Ephesus, the city where, where Timothy was, was really the, the center of, of uh, worship of the Greek goddess Artemis. People would have made pilgrimages there to come and worship this, this goddess. Lively books would have been built up around various forms of idol worship. And we just think of Demetrius mentioned in Acts. He was a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. That's how he made his living. No Artemis, no money. Timothy could have had false teachers say that, well, you can worship both God and Artemis. He may have had to face those in the church who were claiming to be believers, claiming to be followers of God, but worshipping him and making idols because they didn't want to lose their income. Well, they didn't want to lose their social status. Justifying their actions all while not being hearing sound teaching from God's word. God's word that tells us in Exodus, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love and keep my commandments. Now reading this, I mean reading this these commandments from Exodus, it seems pretty straightforward. But we know that that's not the case. 
we constantly see how God's word is twisted, abused, and, and disregarded. But, but here's the thing. We can very easily have the big pictures in mind of the various different kinds of false gospels and various different forms of idol worship. What we're seeing here can be a lot more subtle than that. A lot more devious. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This idea of having itching ears speaks of a time when people will seek out teaching that, that tickles the ear with what they want to hear rather than being pierced with the truth. Results is you have people looking for teachers who tell you exactly what you want to hear. I mean, no one wants to hear that they're apart from Christ, an enemy of God, they deserve God's righteous wrath and judgments. They want to hear that God is in love. That God's got a wonderful plan for your life. True, that's not the whole truth. So rather than being shaped, or before we get there, we see that rather than just seeking out one or two, there's this idea of an accumulation, a more literal translation we need to, to heap up, kind of pile up all the teachers that are, are saying the things that you want to hear. You are looking from place to place, telling one truth to one person so they respond in a specific way, telling another part to another person so they would respond in a specific way. So rather than being shaped and driven by the word of God, the warning is that people will be driven by the pursuit of finding those whose message lines up with their own desires. Now, while a place like Ephesus and some of the surrounding cities would have had plenty of opportunity for people to, to find teachers to suit their own desires, nowadays you don't have to go that far. You don't have to get in a car and drive somewhere, you don't have to get on a plane and fly somewhere. In fact, if you have your phone in your hand right now, you have access to one of the most popular places that people look for their spiritual guidance. YouTube. Now, I'm not bashing YouTube. Very thankful for YouTube. I learned how to play guitar on YouTube. I've learned some great cooking skills from YouTube. But, for many people, YouTube has become their pastor. It's where they go for wisdom. It's where they go if they have a question. And unfortunately, just about anyone with an opinion pops up. There's no discernment. And they usually stick with the one that affirms their idea until maybe that idea changes. And they go looking for the next person to affirm their idea. Everything from, is Jesus really God? Did he really rise from the dead? Question like, is the Bible really the word of God? Is there really only one way to heaven? I mean, you can find responses to these and various other questions, and whatever view you hold, you can find someone who will affirm it. If your beliefs contradict in Scripture, you will find someone who can agree with you. Because Satan hasn't changed, and he will do whatever he can to twist, misuse, and disregard the Word of God. If you're attentive to go down those routes, to go for YouTube spirituality, let me encourage you to be wise. If you have questions, come and speak to one of the elders. 
The elders of this church are men that are not, that are not only called to exercise oversight and to care and shepherd for this church, but we do so as men who very well know, as Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us, we'll have to give an account of how we do that. We will have to stand before God and give an account of how we shepherded and cared for this church. And if you start to think about it a little bit more, perhaps start asking what are the things that we may be holding to that are, are being driven by our passions. Like I said, we can very easily focus on the, the big false doctrines of the prosperity gospel and things like that. But as I mentioned earlier, it's the, the small subtle things that are the devious things. The small justifications, the compromises that can have just as far-reaching and just as devastating impact. I wonder what are some of the areas that you might be tempted to find teachers to suit your passions? Maybe it's a job decision. You have a job offer. It pays better, has better privileges, better perks, but it means that you will spend more time at the office travel more, not be able to attend churches regularly, not be able to attend the community group, be away from your family more often. But in many ways, this is your dream job. When you started studying, and this is the kind of thing that you had in mind of what it is that you wanted to do. Surely God would have brought it to you if he didn't want you to take it. Do you start going around to some of the church leaders hoping that they will affirm what you have already decided? for them to caution you against it. Even encourage you to look for something else. Be more patient. Go to YouTube. Search, does God want me to take this job? You find a few teachers who you've never met, who don't know you, but have heard your choice. Praise the Lord, what a blessing! You go to someone else. You start to find those who affirm what you want to hear. They say, wow, what a gift from God. You're going to be earning that much. That's amazing. What a blessing. Think of what you'd be able to do with all that extra money. Man, God is good all the time. God is good. You take the job. You fall on your spiritual eyes and knees. You're too busy to go to church. You're too busy to be in community. Your children are struggling. Struggling with discipline because they never see you. And before you know it, this job that you convinced yourself is a blessing from God, found that means to affirm that, turns out to be the exact opposite. I know that might be a bit extreme, but it's not far from the truth. Another example would be with, with, with finding a spouse. I know there are many singles in the church, and whenever you desire to get married, and that's a good thing. But as you're single, you start to wonder if you'll ever get married. And if you're a work colleague or friend or dating app, you meet someone. They seem to like you. They have shared interests. Perhaps you've met at the gym. You both enjoy living an active lifestyle. Perhaps you both had similar experiences growing up. You go out on a few dates. Before you know it, things are progressing. What a problem. They're not a Christian. You start to wrestle with it in your mind, but they're so much nicer than some of the guys at church. Why would God bring them my way if He didn't help me today? Even though they aren't Christian, man, this could be a really good evangelistic opportunity. 
You reach out to your CGP and it warns you according to your scripture. Warning that you're not to be unequal to be yoked. You go to an elder who reiterates what your CGP has said. You start to think to yourself, oh, clearly no one wants me to be happy. If they can only see this person, they will then understand and see why I like them so much. You reach out to others you know, perhaps some immature believers, perhaps non-Christians. They start to get excited for you, tell you everything you want to hear, how great the person is, that they're a real catch. You get married, you think all your dreams are come true until it comes to you. How do you live your life? How do you live out your faith? How do you want to raise your children? This person who you were so sure was God's gift to you has actually drawn you further and further away from God. Again, while this may seem a bit extreme, this isn't far from real life. We have in the past that we've ever dealt with certain cases. These are just two examples. There are many more ways that we may deceive ourselves, not enduring sound teaching and accumulating teachings to suit our passions. There's been more the more we choose not to endure sound teaching, teaching, verse 4, we will turn away from listening to the truth and might go off into myths. The word myth here points to a deviation from the true course. Wandering off towards counterfeit truths with no awareness that truth has ultimately been left behind. The reality is it can be so much easier, less strenuous, less painful initially to follow our own passions, but they always come with consequences. Whereas in order to follow some teaching, to forego our own way and follow the Lord's way requires endurance, but the reward is far greater than, and it is guaranteed, it is sure. And that brings us to our third and final point, endure to proclaim the word. Look at verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul begins the final part of our text with a final encouragement to Timothy. Contrasting what he's just put forward, he charges Timothy to be sober-minded or, or self-controlled. Instead of being driven by your own passions, Timothy is to be watchful in all things. Paul is saying to Timothy, when all this comes about, keep your head. Keep the right perspective. Keep focused on what it is that you're called to do. There's no circumstance in your life where this does not apply. Timothy is to keep a stern alertness in every aspect of the work that he's called to do. He's also to endure suffering. This echoes what Paul had told Timothy earlier in the letter. Well, we touched on this at the beginning, but we must remember that Christ never promised his followers a life of ease, a life without struggle, quite the opposite. John in his gospel captures Christ's words. He says, Remember the word that I said to you. This is Christ speaking. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If Timothy is to endure, friends, if we are to endure, then recording what we've already looked at in this passage is part of how we do it. If we're going to be faithful to the word of God, if we're going to hold out truth to a word that a world that shuns truth, a world that says that truth is whatever you want it to be then we should not be surprised by the opposition that is going to come our way. Timothy, be sober-minded, endure suffering. 
Do the work of an evangelist. As one commentator notes, Paul doesn't necessarily have in mind here proclaiming the gospel or the gospel confirmation to those who do not believe uh, and continue to reach Gentiles as Paul has done, will always be a part of it. However, Paul does not specifically distinguish between evangelism and discipleship. Hand in hand, going together. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Another way to say this is to make full assurance of your ministry. The idea is that Timothy is to do all the work of a Christian minister. It's difficult, it's wrought with opposition, you will face various trials. Press on. Friends, the Christian life is difficult. Facing various trials. Endure. Press on. I love how Donald Guthrie puts it. He says, Timothy is putting his hand to the plow and must not look back until his ministry is completed. <laughs> Looking ahead to what is already his. Timothy, fix your eyes on your future hope. Do not be discouraged. Press on. Complete what God has prepared for you. I began this morning suggesting that our New Year's resolution should be to proclaim the word. Paul gives the charge to proclaim. He gives us the reasons to proclaim the word and calls each and every one of us to endure to proclaim the word. Friends, let this be true of us as a church. Let us be a people who proclaims the word, who hold out the truth, who do not shy away because we know our future is secure. We know of the hope and the reward that is awaiting for us because Christ has already accomplished it. The prize is already won. Redeemer, Church of Dubai, 2024 will be a year of proclaiming the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Have the words of eternal life, where else are we to go? Your word is sufficient, your grace is sufficient, your word is true, your word has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Your word has told us who we are, your word has pointed us to the hope that is in Christ, and it points us to the future that we have. Because of who Christ is and what He has done. Lord, with all this in mind, may we be a church that is bold to preach the word. May we be bold to proclaim the word. May we, may we be ready to count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of Christ. Lord, may we be bold to proclaim this. May we be bold to, to preach these truths. Not just to those who do not yet know you, but maybe be bold to speak even to one another, to encourage, to admonish, to, to spur one another on, to call out our sin to one another in love and grace. And all this may be done for your glory, O Lord. In Jesus' name.